Hello, everyone. We're so glad you could join us for our Bible study this morning. We're recording from the North Star Cottage today, and we welcome you all. And our moderator today is Thomas from New York. Welcome, everybody. Uh, so I'll start out with our quote. Love fulfills the law of Christian science. And nothing short of this divine principle, understood and demonstrated, can ever furnish the vision of the apocalypse, open the seven seals of air with truth, or uncover the myriad illusions of sin, sickness, and death. Under the supremacy of spirit, it will be seen and acknowledged that matter must disappear. That's from Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures by Mary Baker Eddy, page 572, starting with line 12. Thank you. Well, that kind of sets the tone for the Revelation study, doesn't it? I think it also sets the tone for the true idea of love instead of being just simply passive, maybe just pleasant only, but rather it fulfills the law. In other words, it takes love to open up these seals, see what needs to be seen, do what needs to be done, instead of backing off and saying all is love. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank you. Explains why Revelation is so misunderstood, too. It is, yes. Because if the love isn't there, you can't do it. I mean, you can memorize and study. They're blue in the face, as I say. But if, if there's not the love, it's not going to work. Love is the liberator, as Mrs. Eddy says. Um, I've been very grateful. Carrie sent me the most wonderful articles um, about these next few chapters in Revelation, which apply to to living it now, not just, you know, then, but now. <clears throat> but this was one short thing she sent about <clears throat> this quote from Mrs. Eddy. It's from, from our exchanges in December 1915 issue, I guess of the Sentinel. The eye of faith sees differently than the eye of flesh. It sees better and more clearly. It sees the truth and the reality. The eye of faith turns away from the things of earth in order to look up on high. And like St. John, through an open door to gain a glimpse into heaven. Here below, the peoples are shaken as dice in a cup. But up yonder, faith perceives, perceives the Lamb as it has been slain in the midst of the throne, having in his hand the book with the seven seals and engaged in breaking these seals one by one. <clears throat> but again, the point being, flesh does not see this. Flesh can't interpret revelation. Only love and faith and spiritual spiritual understanding can break these seals open. And I'm so grateful. This is so timely right now for what we are facing in our nation, in our world to un unbreak these seals, which we will be discussing. Right. 
Yeah, it's amazing how every time we meet, it's something so appropriate, so wonderful. And I'm so very grateful. Thank you, Thomas, and all of you for coming. Yeah, so let's move on. This is going to be exciting. (laughs) (laughs) All right, good. So our topic, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. It's Luke chapter 12, verse 2. So I'll jump in there quickly. So uh, to me, this is kind of describes the theme of Vision 2, where uh, error is disclosed and error is silenced. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And, and notice the importance of it having disclosed. It must be brought to the surface. This is where, you know, there's a lot of, would seem to be controversy in Christian science. People don't want to talk about it or expose it or anything like that. They just skip over to the God is love part. But Mrs. Eddy says it over and over and over that it must be done. And Tomlinson says it too, doesn't he? He sure does. Yes, he does. And, and as Bruce brought out so well in the beginning, this is real love. It's not this nicey nice love that's cowardice and afraid to confront error, this is the lion. The lion of the tribe of Judah, which sees error and, and takes action for the sake of all mankind to destroy the error. And, and always it becomes a target. Oh my goodness, how Era hates it, and it does everything it can to slay it and to bring it down, as we have seen, certainly with the Christ, with Mrs. Eddy. And you can take notice now on who is getting uh, persecuted the most, because you can bet your bottom dollar, as my dad would say, that that person is probably, there's something good going on there. Otherwise, Era would not be so intent in its ruin and it's, boy, it's out hunting. It's out, it's out to kill. It is out to kill. But it's out to kill the truth, never person. Yes, and it cannot kill the truth. Also, I'd like to say, this statement from Luke is the words of Christ Jesus. And he was stating an absolute truth, a fixed principle. And he is saying that this is going to be exposed. Mm-hmm. No, maybe about it. Maybe it will, maybe not. No, it definitely will be exposed. So the next question is, will you be in favor of the exposure or will you be opposed to the exposure? That's something that each of us need to ask ourselves every day. And the exposure is going on. It's going on. It is. Thank God for that. We can be grateful we live in a time such as this. Okay. And we have the opportunity to stand on the right side. Yes. And as Tomlinson says about the exposure to um, the ability of the land, Christ's truth, to uncover error, 
and the spiritual realization brings the uncovering of error, which is essential in order to see error's nothingness. Now that second part is perhaps the most important. Then we get to the nothingness of it. Then we get to the God is all. Then we stand on the absolute. After it's exposed, then we get into that, and then we annihilate it with that truth. Right, and we don't put down the sword until we've used it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, where are we? Okay. Well, I think we can move into um, the general discussion of vision too. Okay, uh, so um, what is the lesson of Vision 2? So, um, as, as uh, shown on our website for the six-page Bible study, says that covers Revelation chapter 5 from verse 11 to Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. And Thomason covers it on pages 150 to 166. Now, uh, just a, sort of an overall comment that there's a lot of things that are posted here, like from Kratzer and Carolyn Getty and so on, so on, right? It's a lot of words here. So if uh, if all this is very clear to you, that's great. Don't listen to me. But if it's not, I mean, the technique that I use is I simplify. To try and simplify what you're looking at, because there's a lot of words here, there's a lot of interpretations. And what is it we're trying to learn about vision, too? So uh, that's part of the reason I picked the topic, right? Um, just sort of simplify what what is this all about, and then from then build on that as a foundation. One thing I, I'd like to mention now that um, Pam from Florida, she sent me um, it. It was a CD by Edith Armstrong Hoyt, The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Um, which is really good. I don't even know how long it is. And, and there was so much in it, I couldn't even begin to relate it to you. Um, and I'm not sure where she got it. I Googled it. There is a book. She also wrote a book that yeah, you can get. It's very hard to get the CD. That used to be for sale all over the place, and then they just disappeared. Really? That's pretty amazing. Well, if Pam's listening, maybe she can tell me how she got it. Um, because there's, there was so much on there. T- couldn't possibly relate it all, but it was very interesting, and she thoroughly um, researched this from the point of a Christian scientist traveling to the Holy Lands and everything else. So, so the help in understanding that, I know that uh, um, <laughs> she produced a number of records on certain topics, and so someone may have taken one of her records and converted it to a CD. Okay, that thank you. That makes sense. Tom yeah. bought us the record. Yeah, okay. You know, you know, an NLP record. Right, right. All right, well, there's just a lot written, but in looking at commentaries, there there were some interesting things, but unless you approach it from Christian science, you really don't have a clue what all this is about. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I meant sometimes, because it's a lot of words, and you can get overcomplicated in it, and that's yeah. sort of what you. to do with it. And, and and if your your mind is getting overcomplicated about this, and just step back and think about, okay, well, how can I simplify this, or what is this meaning to me, and and then and then build from there. Um, and I just say that because I, I look at this, and there's so much written about this, 
and it goes off in so many different directions, right? And uh, if we look at uh, Kratzer and some of the other stuff that we've posted, I mean, they, in a way, um, keep us on track because they're they're helping us to understand the spiritual significance of what we're reading in the book of Revelation. Yes. And for every every problem there there is the solution of the all power of God to it, which Christian science knows how to apply. I remember, I mean, you know, you talk about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, you kinda of give you the chills, right? You know? <laughs> um and and so it is. And they must be met with the all power of truth. So does anyone have anything to say now before I start laughing? <laughs> well, why don't we take it, uh, you know, what, what we, we've got, uh, you know, we've got seven seals. What do they mean to everybody here? Well, you know, the vision starts, you know, chapter 5, verse 11, and it starts about the, the thousands of angels. And the four beasts, and ultimately they bowed down and worshiped God, amen, and that sort of thing. And I think that's important because those innumerable thousands and thousands of angels are representative of how we begin our treatment. We know that God is speaking to us, and his, He is infinite. He's omnipresent. He knows everything. And we start from this absolute standpoint of Almighty God, because if we don't start there, and then we start opening up the seals, we may not have much to work with. Right. Be a bit of a so those thousands of angels were very helpful to start with. Yeah. You know, every time we have a lesson, it kind of starts out with an absolute strong statement of truth. When we do a watch, we we start from the standpoint of Almighty God. But if we proceed without doing that first. We may not have the tools we need. Thank you. Very good. Very good. Well, did you want to say something, Gary? No. Okay, well, um, I'm going to get back to the the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Because everyone was weeping, right? Everyone was weeping right. because they, it couldn't be opened. And then the answer was the Lion of the tribe of Judah, which we understand to be what? The Christ. The Christ. And on page 514 of Science and Health, Mrs. Eddy says, Moral courage is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the king of the mental realm. Fear and free and fearless it roams in the forest. Undisturbed it lies in the open field or rests in green pastures beside the still waters. In the figurative transmission from the divine thought to the human, Diligence, promptness, and perseverance are likened to the cattle upon a thousand hills. They carry the baggage of stern resolve and keep pace with the highest purpose. Tenderness accompanies all the might imparted by spirit. The individuality created by God is not carnivorous as witnessed in the millennial estate pictured by Isaiah. And then the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. But this, I've given testimonies about this, how much this paragraph has meant to me. And when I felt overwhelmed by maybe what was going to be required of me, I went 
to those three, the figurative transmission from the divine thought to the human, diligence, promptness, and perseverance. And those are three things we all can do and everyone should do. And I found even if I didn't feel like I knew what the heck I was doing, I could do those three things, be prompt, be diligent, persevere. And and then they were likened it and then have this stern resolve in myself that I was going to do this. Nothing was going to stop me. My face set like a flint to Jerusalem. Don't turn left or right or think about your past or what your problems are. Just set your face like a flint with stern resolve. And then, and this was just a wonderful article that Carrie sent that we will post. It should be in our Liberator. And it's by one of my favorite authors, Louise Knight Wheatley, which, and it's called The Lion of the Tribe of Judah. And this is how we bring this moral courage home, because we must now. It's not just a matter of, thank you. It's much, it's not just a matter of what Jesus did and is doing. This is what we are doing. And she writes, in the fifth chapter of Revelation, we read of a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And the revelator goes on to say that he wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look therein. But presently one of the elders said unto him, Weep, weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of, da- the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals whereof. What is this lion of the tribe of Judah, we perhaps wonder, which had power to prevail when all else failed? Since the Bible, to be correctly understood, must be spiritually interpreted, interpreted, how natural it is to turn at once to that dear companion ever close at hand. And then it quotes what I just quote about moral courage. And then, how beautifully it all unfolds as we ponder it more deeply and then recognize the indisputable fact that he would, who would break the seven seals of era's utmost effort and read as in an open book things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world must indeed possess that kingly quality which enables him to roam the mental realm as its master. Let nothing elude our mental vigilance. Most of all, that phrase, phase of evil, which may come in the guise of good. Let there be no good-natured, easy compromise. Mm-hmm. Since we must take our stand against error sooner or later, why not meet every question fairly and squarely as it comes? In the presence of the Lion of the tribe of Judah, it will quickly show itself for what it is for it dares to do nothing else. And why not take our stand at once? Surely there is nothing to be gained by waiting. We live not in past, in the past of unhappy memories, nor yet in a vague future, in a, in a future of vague possibilities. We live in the today of mind's eternal presence. And then it goes on, because this is so important. This is how I, I know I felt this, and I know it is what I needed. I needed moral courage. Everything was pushing me every this way. 
Yet as we stand praying for wisdom to know what to do, it begins to dawn upon us after a while that the one thing needed to break our bonds and set us free is moral courage. Following this conviction quickly comes the realization that no matter how much mortal mind may be laughing at us, there really is a way out after all. If this were not so, would not the one all-power be powerless on some occasions? Divine love has always and under all circumstances provided a way out. Let us never forget that. So as we look about us, gathering fresh courage now from our confidence in God's willingness and ability to help us, a strange thing sometimes happens. Instead of seeing no way out at all, we now see two ways. A right way, which looks like a hard way, and a wrong way, which seems to be very a very easy way. Question now rises, which shall it be? And it goes on, but it, it says, you know, you can take the easy way and you end up going around in circles <laughs> and you never meet the problem, do you? And the problem keeps coming back to you in various forms. You think, oh, my gosh, what's going on? The same thing's happening to me over and over again. That's because you haven't met it. Then it comes back stronger. Too. It does. It does. And then, and then accompanying that comes the fear. You know, the fear. Oh my gosh. What's going on? You know, it seems so real. But, um, if you face it with the moral courage, then, um, you will, you will meet it. And you will find out that the hard way, and this is what I tell people sometimes. Oh, it's so hard. I, honestly, it might start out hard because you haven't exercised your moral courage. But it becomes very easier, doesn't it? The hard way becomes the easy way because you've got God with you and you see your the phantoms of your fear fall by the wayside and you become victorious. Because once you have the stern resolve yes. for the higher purpose, God gives you everything you need. And it may come as a surprise to you. Because you don't know where it came from. Because you didn't know about it in the first place. But but once you have the stern resolve, God gives you what you need. And then he guides you so that you actually accomplish something really, really good. And you and everyone in your prayers comes out better and stronger for it. And the appearance of hard is nothing but illusion. The truth of the matter is, the hardest part about a big job is just getting started. And if you will start, you'll find out it's not so hard after all. Not only that, you're going to feel the divine impulsion that carries you. And that is a good thing and a safe place to be. So the trick of the devil was to, just to get you to not even get started. Yeah, she writes, what keeps us from taking that first step in the other direction? Nothing but lack of moral courage. And what is back of this lack of moral courage? Fear. We are afraid to leave the beaten track of the popular opinion, lest we be thought odd or queer or different. Or we're afraid of hurting somebody's feelings. Or we are afraid of losing something, social standing, business prestige, or personal popularity. Or we are afraid of ridicule, the worldling's frown, or its cynical smile. Most of all, 
We are afraid that our motives will be misjudged, our acts misunderstood, our words misinterpreted. So we try to dodge the issue. In other words, while we are not, of course, staying, saying that black is white, we are quite satisfied to compromise by calling it sort of a gray. I remember Mrs. Evans talking about gray zones. I think there might even be an article, no gray zones, because I lived in a gray zone. I didn't, I, I, I basically I knew right from wrong, but I compromised so much. I was living in this horrible gray zone trying to please everybody. And I was in total misery until you have the moral courage to say what you mean and mean what you say and start getting some traction and making progress. So she says, right is right and wrong is wrong. There is no convenient middle ground. So anyway, it's a wonderful article that applies directly to this revelation. And we see it now in our Everything, everything in our government, in our nation, in our dealings with other people. Are we standing for what we know is right? Or are we backing off and compromising to to please people? That is so beautiful. Thank you. There is no convenient middle ground. You know, when Jesus came and did his work, people either loved and admired him or... They aggressively opposed him. I don't know, read of anything in the Bible that anybody had a middle ground or neutral position with him. <laughs> it was one or the other. And it, it, it still is. And, uh. Oh, so. um, he healed the sick, raised the dead. Who cares? Yeah, that's, <laughs> we didn't hear about that. <laughs> oh, the Sabbath. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, that was a big problem. So, anyway, well. Well, that makes sense because with the the toehold, the foothold, the stronghold, there's no middle ground. If you give up that space and you've given it a toehold, there you go. There you go. And it's nothing more, and we as scientists have proved it. I don't care what your problem is. I don't care how deep it is, how long it's gone on. It's aggressive mental suggestion. It is illusion that you have bought into, and because you've bought into it, you're in this wilderness world going around in circles, scared to death. And you can come out of it. And people, many, many people have. And this is the way out. Like dice shaking in a cup. Okay. Like dice shaking in a cup. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> she mentions shaking around. And so. one thing I think about, you know, being here and it feeling hard sometimes is it's important to remember that life before coming here was hard, but it was hard with no hope. At least hard here, it's, you know, it's difficult, but then you overcome and it feels good and you're progressing, not, not falling flat. That's it. That's it. It changes everything. Cause you know God is with you and you, you do. You wake up with joy in the morning instead of fear and dread. So thank you. Could Terry. I add something? Yes, please. I just want to say one small thing. Right is radical. Right. And this is so beautiful because it cuts, it's a sort of a cut, a card, which is the only healer. Thank you. Yes, it, yes. It, it is yep. radical. And we must be willing to take those radical stands. And as we go on in this, Vision 2, we will find out why it is so essentially important. We do. 
take these stands that we know to take and that are joyous to take. Yeah. So should we talk about the uh, seals and yes. what, what it is that we have to stand up to? Sure. Huh? Okay, what's the first seal? The first seal. White horse. And a crown. Conquering. And to conquer. Anybody got any thoughts on that one? <laughs> All right, white, white, this is the conquering. This is, at this time, except for the, except for Rome itself, the church was pretty much the center of life. The church wears a white robe. It appears to be closest to God, right? But this is a church Based on person, not on principle. This this is to beware of of a phony church, of the Roman Catholic Church, rather than the true Christian Church. Right? Because it will wear a white robe, will go around with a bow. And shoot whatever it doesn't want. And it will try to conquer. And one of my commentaries said, Behold a white horse. If one were to take their interpretive clues from the cowboy movies and <laughs> the Bible, it would be easy to believe the rider on a white horse is Jesus. Jesus does not return on a white horse in Revelation. Oh, Jesus does return on a white horse in Revelation 19. But this is a satanic dictator who imitates Jesus. He imitates Jesus to control, right? Now think of, you know, think of modern times. The church that Mrs. Eddy established. She established the church really reluctantly because what she discovered was the science of Christianity. And she took it to all the Christian churches that she could find in her neighborhood, and they all, what? They all dumped on her. They all rejected her. So she started her own church so that people could come and, and hear the truth, uh, as delivered by her textbook. The Comforter, which was prophesied by Jesus, 18, you know, 2,000 years ago, 20. But what happened to that church? The directors lost sight of the fact that it was a science and not a human organization. <laughs> they violated the manual. They tried to take control. They tried to conquer human lives. And let me just say, this is an error that some people do not want to be uncovered. Oh, no, no, don't say anything. We have to. Who's telling of the foe in ambush? 
And also, we didn't come against them. They excommunicated us. So uh, if you don't like, if this lie makes you uncomfortable to hear, then think a little more about it. And, and we're not, we're not, and this is not people. It's not people, and it's this not even false, criticism. This is false right. beliefs. Yes. This is the human mind doing whatever the human mind always does. <laughs> Ruining everything. Ruining everything. Yeah. yeah. And in that regard, they turned to Pharisees. Not, they don't become more Christ-like, they become Pharisees. They do. And mm-hmm. what does she say? The human mind... She doesn't call it a dictator, but something like that. It, it, it's all an attempt to control, manipulate, and be the one in charge, and everybody's got to follow them, yeah. and can't think for themselves. And it only happens when people are sleeping yeah. and, and don't want to think for themselves. They want to have someone else do all their thinking. That's when it happens, when you lose your moral courage and you just hear a little, there a little. So, and the only, and the only answer to being able to handle that false belief is the Christ. That's why Mrs. Eddy refers to true Christianity, to the true Christian church. That's why she gave us a definition of church in the textbook so that we could remember but the true church is, and anything that doesn't live up to that definition of church, watch out for, because it will nip, <laughs> it will come back to bite you. That's why so many of these organized churches have creeds, dogmas, rituals, doctrines. Where does that come in play in what Christ Jesus left us? He didn't have something organized of that matter, of that such. And, uh, you know, are we going to be controlled by somebody else's opinions? Or are we going to simply go with the one real commandment that there really is, to love God with your heart and soul and mind and your neighbor as yourself and be free to do it? And, and, what, did, and what did Jesus say about church in the Bible? He didn't, he didn't, he didn't start a church himself. The only, the only thing I remember him saying was when he asked his disciples who he was, finally, Peter came up with the right answer. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what did Jesus say to him then? On the rock I will build my church. Yes, that, that, Flesh and blood did not give you the answer. God gave you the answer. And upon this rock, this principle, I will build my church. I know some of you have been watching The Chosen, and some of you recently have watched the uh, season three, episodes one and two which we here haven't yet, but we will Monday night. We're very excited. <laughs> but some of you, like Lawrence and Karen, and some of you saw it, even in Atlanta, which must have been awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, I did see the trailer, and it, you know, they, one of the Pharisees saying, you know, to, to Jesus, 
we're we're going to have to come after you with the law of Moses. And then Jesus says, "I am the law. I am the law of Moses." Wow, that was wonderful. <laughs> and and remember, this is whenever Jesus said "I," he never was referring to a human being or a person. He is always referring to the Christ. I, I remember when I first realized that reading the New Testament because he, you know, he makes some pretty outlandish statements in the New Testament and if you take them personally they're pretty, you know, they're pretty out there. But if you recognize that he is referring to the Christ, not a person then it all makes sense. And that's what he was referring to. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing the Chosen shows so clearly. The, the ecclesiastical despotism, the organization coming up against uh, the Christ and picky, picky little laws and rules. And they, you know, they just don't seem to get it. But the human mind never gets it. But it's a wonderful, clear illustration of how that works. And even Peter wanted to approach them about setting up like a system of bringing your grievances forward and all that. Right. <laughs> In the beginning, yeah. He didn't get it either. And even even Mrs. Eddy, when she discovered this science, and when she wrote the textbook, and when she started the church, and and the and the movement started to grow, and people all around the world knew about her and were, you know, many impressed, many attacked her, of course, but she was becoming very famous. And what did she say about following her? Yeah, she said, follow me only insofar as I follow the Christ. That should be our guide for following anything, including the church. Well, Gary, I thought what you said about the definition of church and science and health is so fascinating because I've never thought about it that way, looking at that. So, like, she doesn't say there that uh, church is that organization I built in Boston. Right. Exactly. Right. And it makes it ridiculous to think that any of us have the right to kick someone outside of the structure of truth and right. life. You know, and one of the things that I learned a long time ago, I was comparing the Roman Catholic Church to the Christian science, and I realized that the Roman Catholic Church is the complete, complete antithesis to Christian science. So everything we say about Christian science and the church, it has its complete antithesis. It has its complete opposite represented as the Roman Catholic Church. And I realized, oh my gosh, that's why Christian science had to reverse. Um, I mean, that's why it had to come, because it had to reverse the antithesis of what the Roman Catholic Church had materialized everything. And um, its whole basis, everything is based on matter, whereas Christian science, of course, is spirit. So that's all, and I I just didn't look at it that way before. I didn't see 
so clearly the the complete opposite. And so that's why Christian Science is the only real church there ever is. But so anyway, that was a lot. and that it's the only science that there really is. Yeah. Not the only church that there really is. It is a science, not a church. You're gonna lose you're gonna lose it if you think of it as a church. And you know, when Christian science falls into the human mind, mm-hmm. it becomes Romanism. The worst the worst of it all, which is mm-hmm. exactly what has happened. This is why Big Dal Young speaks out on his his articles on Romanism. It is why Mrs. Evans was so tough on Romanism. Think about it. Give me your money. I'll tell you what to read. Uh, be afraid of me because if you don't do what I tell you to do, you will be excommunicated. This is what it becomes. And this is why we must be so alert to how it creeps in and takes over. Our little movie night group, we're now watching something called The Light in the A Lamp in the Dark. A Lamp in the Dark. And this is tells you the, about the Protestant movement and and Romanism and how it you know it burned people at the stake. It did everything it could to put out the reform that would get rid of the Catholic Romanist seat of control. Seat of control, yes. Where they even the Pope was saying, "I am God." They had a, a right to override what was in the Bible. It, it lusts lust for absolute control and in this white horse isn't that what it's referred to as lust yes. lust of power yeah. and it and it and it parades as being something good mm-hmm. yeah. where's a crown mm-hmm. where's a crown it, Ecclesi- claim, it claims to be close to close to God yes right. it's a good it's a good one to watch Ecclesiastical despotism in high places, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very good thing to watch. I'm very grateful for it. And it shows the people that gave their lives to translate the Bible so everyone could have it. So that's so important. Yes. Yeah. You know, uh, Gary mentioned earlier, if you think of it as a church, you're going to lose it. And I agree 100%. One thing that clarified things very clearly to me was I realized that Christian science is not just another denomination. There are many denominations, but rather it's the reality of all things brought to light. But we function under a church. In other words, we have a church in Plainfield. They have a church up in Boston that Mary Baker already started. But it was just like a need to function in society at the time where we can have a place to go, a place to do the things that we need to do, and um but it just serves that purpose only. And it yes, and if you refer to church as Mrs. Eddy's definition of church in the glossary, then you're on safe ground. But not as just a, a church. But that's not a human or a physical organization, is it? That way you, you can't become a target for anything when you know what it is. And, uh, and and Mrs. Eddy understood that when she wrote the uh, the manual, manual. Uh-huh. which is why she insisted that all churches, including the Mother Church in Boston, be independent of one another. Because then no one can become this big, large target, which 
the uh, organization has become. And when you watch the lamp in the dark, you will see how Romanism infiltrates. It, 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 it pretends to be something it is, and it infiltrates whatever it can that it wants to take over. And, and we know, and we've talked about this in our church for many, many years, how the organization was surely infiltrated. Um, and because people who were making decisions, <laughs> they have no concept of demonstration or God. Or science. Or, sci- or the science. They do not know the science. And if Re- they did... And Reg Carey, who was head of, of uh, security in Boston for many, many years, and saw what was going on, and blew the whistle and started sending letters to uh, to all the reading rooms, you know, blowing the whistle, alerting them to all the crap that was going on up there, unscientific, contrary to Christianity, crap that was going on in Boston by the directors up there, he was persecuted. They hired the mafia to try to kill him. He was almost killed. And, but he said, he told us, he said, you know, they just don't know the science. The board of directors and, you know, they inherited a mess, quite frankly. So this is not blaming anybody. It, it but was, he said, yeah. they don't no, the science. So the truth of the whole thing is that God is mind, God is your mind, and each of us have the individual right and responsibility to turn to this one mind. Remember at the beginning, the thousands of voices, the angel voices, we can all hear them. We don't have the capacity to do it. After all, we're his child. So, let's listen to those instead of the dictates of those who were on the dominating controls. Thank you. And that's the Thank solution the, to this, which we always start with and come back with. So shall we move on to the second seal? <laughs> that was some seal. That's <laughs> well, I think it was important to cover what needed to be covered there. Because these, you know, Jesus revealed the book of Revelation to John for a specific purpose, to, to, to give us warning as to what was going to happen. And he, he, he told his disciples, just before he left them, that he had more to tell them, but they, they couldn't understand what more he had to say, which is why he prophesied that the Comforter would come. And even Explain what the comforter is, the spirit of truth and love, which we understand to be the science, divine science, the science of Christianity, which Mrs. Eddy finally, 1875 years later, whatever, discovered. So this book of Revelation is a description of the things, or a, a warning of the things that he couldn't actually explain in scientific terms at the time. And only an understanding of the science is going to be able to understand what it is that he's telling us is going to come. There is one other thing I wanted to mention about the moral courage that's very important. Mrs. Evans, the Evanses had moral courage. We wouldn't be here today without them. They they stood up when it would have been very easy to have backed off when this was 
flailing at us in every way, every way. But she stood. She had that moral courage to do the right thing. She was appalled when she first found out all that was going on and all that was going on in, in call it Boston, in the organization. None of us had any idea, but she didn't back down ever once. And I thank God for that. Okay, second seal. Ready, Tom? Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, uh, Kratzer gives a brief description of what each one of them means, right? So, uh, uh, from the way he looks at it. So the first one he talked about is lust, and uh, the second seal says is revenge. <laughs> and why is that? The red horse. The red horse. Um, Red horse brings, brings war and conflict. Um, Takes peace from the earth. Mm-hmm. That they should kill one another. Yes. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth. This rider didn't need to bring war and destruction. All he needed to do was to take take peace from the earth. Once this peace, God's gift to man, was taken. Men quickly rush in with war and destruction. Um, our modern age is marked by war and conflict. Since World War II, there have been more than 150 wars of some kind in the world. And at any given time, there may be some three dozen armed conflicts taking thousands of lives yearly. The nations of the world often spend more than one trillion on military expenditures a year. And Red even horse. before World War II, there was war all the time, somewhere, yeah, in most places. Yes, was. So, uh, I mean, I think we, we need to recognize that since the discovery of Christian science, more of the world has been at peace than before the discovery of Christian science. Before yes, the discovery, that there was, you know, there were dozens of wars all over the world all the time. But, I also thought that the red horse refers also refers to despotic uh human governments, doesn't it? So the the dictators, the wicked kings, the you know, and they rep- and they and they operate uh, through, you know, terms like socialism and communism, and they 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 try to appear to be attractive, but the way they operate is they create riots. They take peace. They try to get people dissatisfied so that they will bow down. To them, give up their freedoms, give up their God-given rights, and bow down to a despotic dictator or king or group of kings. Yeah, we've seen that people will look for an emergency, 
And if they can't find one, they will create an emergency and then rush in with their own solution, which is actually a word enslaving. Thank you. Yes, because everyone is becomes afraid, so they look to something for an answer rather than looking to God for the answer. And as I've told you many times, I saw this happening in Plainfield with riots coming in by other outsiders instead of people standing, being true Christians and standing. Everybody ran like bunny rabbits. So uh, it's a test, really, when that kind of thing happens. Are you going to stand with God for the truth? Or are you going to run like a bunny rabbit thinking you can find peace somewhere else and find it in something else? And you can't. It's only in God. And only the Christ, which demonstrates that the only the only government, not just the best government, but the only government we have is the government by God. And unless we accept that, we're going to be, you know, we're going to be tossed around to and fro, as Mrs. Eddy says, by all these, you know, dictators that would love to dictate. On one side, discord and dismay. On the other side, science and peace. Mary Baker Eddy. I can't emphasize that enough through these times that we're going through now. As we've seen, uh, you know, human nature, people will do things in response to an emergency or a conflict that they would never do in their right mind. So, how important it is to claim God is our mind. And if we have challenges and problems, instead of reacting irrationally, which a lot of people do, let's get back to our God. There's always an answer, and it's an answer of peace and good. And one example of that is to look, look, look at the response to the COVID-19 pandemic that we just went through. The worldwide response. It was a total disaster. <laughs> Economically, spiritually, morally, it was a huge, huge disaster for most of the world. The response, that is. The pandemic wasn't that bad, but the response was disastrous. Yeah. It's not what happens to you, it's what it is what you do about what happens to you. And it must always be our refuge in God. Um so yeah, very very important points. I will say too though, oftentimes in disasters people come together, don't they? Yes. All of a sudden, all these people, neighbors fighting, oh, everybody's, I'll help you, you'll help me. Everybody comes together. That's a one tremendously good thing when disasters happen. It's like you forget all your petty fights and arguments and you love your brother as yourself. And that, that we see, certainly see it here in America yeah. every time we have a, some kind of a disaster, and even, you know, helping other people around the world. People just inside have a compassion for each other. It's too bad it takes a disaster for that to come out, but sometimes it does. But that, you know, but, but everything has a good, a good purpose. A good purpose, if we see the good purpose and, and go with it. 
And so the answer to this is, you know, according to Tomlinson, which is true, the seals are open in the presence of the four great verities of being, omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence, and omni-action. And thus their nothingness is discerned. And you see, only, only the remnant could stand during the nameless nothing pandemic and say, this is not true. We're not going to be mesmerized into believing it. And by so doing, you don't have to participate in all the anguish it seemed to have caused. And that come from, came from the knowing your rights from the Bible. And that's one of the things I think it in the, would be in these seals is, uh, right now there's an ongoing effort to fruit, uh, make the Bible of Nana saying it's nothing, it's wrong, it doesn't exist, it's a lie. And, and there's actual organizations, world organizations actively trying to, uh, stop any Bible research, archaeology and writing and, uh, actively saying it is a lie. And it's, it's, I mean, these are world organizations that are. It's one of the horses. Yeah, exactly. So we see, we've got all these, and Mrs. Eddy says, you know, error cannot survive if it doesn't have organizations to promote it. Right. So what do we have? We've got a lot of organizations promoting error. (laughs) Right. And, and, you know, and they're gonna, they're gonna operate out, out of, out of fear, make you afraid that, 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 you know, if you don't let them do what they want to do, something will suffer. Uh, or they operate out of deception. They will merely just lie to you, promise you things that they can't deliver. So, you know, but only the Christ will be able to to tell that they are, you know, full of crap. And that they're out to do you no good. And this is your spiritual sense. And this is why uh it's so important you develop it and know it because there are all these false prophets out right now. And uh as as the Frederick Dixon letter states, only the pure in heart will survive these latter times. Because that spiritual sense comes with a pure in heart and a love for God and for man. Now we're coming to the end, so I'm not sure we should start another one. But I'd like anyone now who has had a chance to speak to to speak. Well, I just wanted to say, as far as those things that take peace, most certainly news and social media go go into that. Thank group. you. So, yes, oh yeah. yes. They, they, they use you. the television and the radio and the, and the computer and the internet. Thank you. To take our peace. To take your peace. Consider to yourself during the day or at the end of the day, did anything take my piece today? And what was it? And then eliminate it. Okay. Get rid of it. I don't care if it's person, place, or thing. Air isn't person, place, or thing, but it seems to wear that face. You don't let it take your piece. And it will, so, it, it will promote the killing of people in the name of good. As if that could be even remotely possible to kill in the name of good. But that's what they do. That's what false governments and false organizations do. And they'll get you revved up against a certain person or type of person or whatever, 
And this revelation brings out, doesn't it, about all people, everywhere, everybody's going to be part of this. There's no separation or exclusion. Everybody God loves. So, that just doesn't wash. Doesn't wash at all. Tom, are you going to speak? Oh, I thought maybe I'd just give a summary of the opening of the seals that Tomlinson gives us on page 151. He says that, uh, so the, the errors that are disclosed for each of the seals. So, first one is lust. Second one is revenge. Third one is covetousness. Fourth one is envy. Fifth is self-righteousness. The sixth is self-will. And the seventh is self-ignorance. So then, uh, from the pulpit commentary, uh, which refers to Revelations chapter 8, verse 1. The silence is typical of the eternal peace of heaven, the ineffable bliss. So when the seals are opened, the air is disclosed, and there's silence, and that's the bliss. Uh, the air are destroyed or gone. Mm-hmm. We can look forward to someday. When you turn the television off. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we, 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 we got, we got through the first two seals, uh, but we're gonna have to pick, to pick up on the third seal. We should probably do that soon. What do you think? Absolutely. Well, our next time, our next time is December, right? We, and then we haven't, we haven't made the dates for January yet, but, um, but yeah, I think we definitely need to continue because this is the most important thing. That we could be studying right now. And wouldn't Era tell you, oh, you don't want to study Revelation. It's too complicated. Um, so much in this that we need to know now. And it's not to be feared. It is not to be feared. No. Thank you. No. So for the next one on Vision 3, we get to look forward to the uh, seven angels with the seven trumpets. Oh, yes. I'm going to have to bring Carolyn. <laughs> Carolyn, send me that beautiful trumpet, trumpeter for that one. Yeah, and we'll start with this third seal. Yeah, third absolutely. Seal. So you want to continue with the uh, the seals, and then we'll go in. Oh, I think yeah, we need right. to, yeah. yeah, we yeah. Have okay, to. okay. So we'll we'll continue next time on Vision 2, just to recap, right? Vision 2, we'll be starting with opening seal 3. Very good. Thank yeah. you. Okay. And then once if we get through that, depending, then we'd move into Vision 3, which um, writes about the trumpets. Okay. And a few other things, like the mighty angel with a little book. Wow. That's going to be fun. Oh. A little book. You know what that is. <laughs> yeah, we sure do. All right. So uh, it looks like Vision 3 will be doing in January, or or finishing up in January. It depends on how much we get through in December. Okay. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, well, we've got a lot of lot of road to hoe here, but uh, yeah, yeah, we did four verses today. So. <laughs> 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 all right. We'll we'll see you in thank you all. Yeah. See you in December. Yeah. Thank, thank you all for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.